Hey everybody, welcome to the Pillar Podcast, the podcast that brings you great Catholic conversation each week. Are we in fact recording that? Yeah, this is the show. <laughs> oh, excellent. This episode of the Pillar Podcast is brought to you by the University of Dallas, the premier Catholic liberal arts university in the country. The university is known for its rigorous undergraduate core curriculum, robust graduate and professional programs in business, ministry, education, and the humanities with campuses in Texas, Italy, and for one night only, Fells Point, Baltimore. <laughs> It is committed to an education that forms students intellectually, socially, spiritually, and journalistically, I guess. For more information, go to udallas.edu slash pillar. Thank you so much for coming to this live episode of the Pillar Podcast. This episode, we're so grateful. This is this episode comes, as probably most of you know, at the end of the public sessions of the USCCB's fall plenary meeting held here in beautiful Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, we've got a lot of USCCB to talk about. But we're so glad that you guys are here, and um, it really means a lot to us, and we're so glad that you um, presumably support The Pillar by being here. So thank you so much. Give each other a round of applause. Unless you're a spy from the National Catholic Reporter, in which case, <laughs> you know, try and just be cool for a night. Why did, like, about half the people look at the Jesuit when he said that? <laughs> Not cool, guys. <laughs> this will be, I hope that this will be an extremely synodal podcast. We didn't have enough round tables, but I hope that we will be able to hear from you and, uh, and you'll be able to be a part of this conversation as well. We are not, I should say, and if you listen to the show, you already know this, by any means like um, qualified podcasters. We are, in a certain sense, professional podcasters, which is to say that I'm wearing a shirt that someone sent to us because they gave us money to make this podcast, which is an unexpected turn of events in my life. But, um, but being professional at it does not make us qualified. So this is not the sort of live show where people have something like planned out in lots of ways and it's going to be like there's going to be pyrotechnics or special events or something like that. This is just us doing this. And, um, and we're really grateful that we're able to do this. And we're really grateful that you came. And a, a lot of you, we have some stuff to give away. Um, a lot of you are from Maryland. Are, who's, who's from Maryland? Woo! Like who came here for, because they live in Maryland, I guess is my question. The same group. Of you, okay. okay. It's not actually an obligation of living in the state. <laughs> like who came from my more? wife lives in Maryland and she didn't come to this. Okay. That's a very good point. Um, and we, <laughs> We were talking to a bishop right before we came over here, and we were like, um, and he, he's a, a friend of the show, a friend of the pillar, whatever. And we were talking to him, and, and he was like, it's so good to see you guys. It's so good that you're here. I loved your reporting this week. Thank you so much for what you're doing for the church. All these very nice things. And we had all our stuff for this. And so Ed was like, that's cool. Are you coming to the show? And he laughed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hard he laughed. <laughs> He was not laughing with us either. Right, that's exactly. That's exactly. But it wasn't about you. It was that was about us. So don't dig it. But who drove more than an hour to get here? Wow, that's a, that's really generous. that's terrifying. Who? <laughs> Only because of the Beltway. That person says that's true. You took the train, but you guys are you guys are not similar. You're from Wilmington, Delaware, and the, so this is a table. This is a very interesting table. This is. This is seminarians, their formator, this lady, and what I presume is her boyfriend. Oh, this is it. Oh, that feels like a recipe for shenanigans. Do you, do you guys ever like do a little, like you go to seminary for a few days? Not anymore. Okay, fair, fair enough. Uh, who drove more than two hours to be here? 
Wow. Um, no, yelling is what I wanted because. Uh, okay. <laughs> Thing about podcasts is you can't. Um, if you just raise your hand, no one can. No one can know. Oh, you. Oh, who drove more than two hours to be here? It seems you want me to ask again. Okay. Wow, three people did. Is that right? But what about? I think I saw a pre, my friend Father Zach. Is he here? He drove a fight. <laughs> I think I saw my friend Zach who drove with these ladies, but I think he's waiting in the car, which is. He did not drive with these ladies. Oh, really? Okay, well. Okay. Stop making trouble. <laughs> yeah, not in. He drove with them in a good way. This is 100% why bishops laugh at us when we say, Are you coming to Oh, yeah, so you can just like mouth off about me into a show. How many seminarians could you fit in your car? Excellent <laughs> These guys' formator is rethinking bringing them to this podcast right now. <laughs> like, he's going to have to explain this to the rector tomorrow. Okay, so anyway, so, okay. <laughs> I almost said good, but I, I don't know you. I'm sure it's good. Oh, oh you're, he's, your, he's your pastor. That's wonderful. Okay. And he's your pastor too, Sarah Pearl? No, okay. Well, I'm, there are many people here, and we're very grateful that you came. So the reason I was asking if you came from a far way is that we have some shirts. So if you came for more than two hours, we'll, we'll, give you, we'll throw a shirt over there. Who got a babysitter? Who's here on a date? Wow, that's so... Wow. It's, not it's not a date. Don't. Just don't. No. Whatever you're thinking, just don't this. say it. You're married. You have children. You're here... No. You're on a date, but you don't have a babysitter. Oh, you're on a date. Is this your... You guys, are brought, you guys are on a date. You left your children at home. Well, you already have a gift. We're not giving you anything because it's such a nice... No, give them a... Sh- <laughs> Throw them something. That's nice. So is this so you is this your first date? <laughs> How long have you guys been dating? A little over four months. And what's your vocation? <laughs> Come on, we're all wondering. <laughs> I mean, have you guys had a serious talk about these kind of things yet? <laughs> she has. Who thinks? Okay, just uh, you can't make a show of what's the, you cannot make a show of hands because you can't tell that on a podcast, but. Who thinks it would be beautiful to have a pillar podcast proposal? <laughs> Do it! We'll give you a shirt! Hey, 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 next year. <laughs> next year! Sequel. <laughs> next year. Look, I don't think of it this way. Next year proposal, two years from now, first child. Named possibly after called Dallas. <laughs> Before we get started and we hand out the food, um, I just want to recognize the editor of uh, who's here, uh, someone who's here who I respect very much, basically the editor of the only physical Catholic newspaper that I read, um, Father Patrick Mary Briscoe, our friend. Hello. From- and Father, come up. Come, come on up because you're getting uh, a T-shirt. If we give you a T-shirt, will you wear it over your habit? Is that allowed? It is totally allowed. Tonight. That's awesome. Also, um, my friend, who's my friend from high school, Father Zach Swantek is here. Hey, Father Zach. You guys are not, you guys don't know him, but you should. He's great. Our friend, other friends are here. Thank you so much. Uh, should we do a, talk about stuff now? We should probably talk about things. Okay, great. Please. But first, does anybody want to, um, I got these in the mail. Does anybody want a JD is a terrible person shirt, a sticker? Okay. Share those amongst yourself. I don't know. Okay. So, um, Ed, what I want to talk about is obviously the USCCB meeting, and um, there were a lot of, this was, a, this was the kind of meeting that was, um, 
interesting and not interesting all at once because the perhaps the sort of surface element of the meeting there was not like a lot of sort of vigorous debate from the floor it was not like back in 2021 or whatever when bishops were going to town on Eucharistic coherence and really, I mean, there, there was a relatively sedate meeting, but that doesn't mean there wasn't a lot going on. Is that fair? It is fair. I, I was originally tempted to blame you for this because <laughs> you spent so long saying the bishop should have more time in executive session. They should turn the cameras off. They should get the press out of the room. They would have a much more collegial experience. And I guess they took your advice. And now all the interesting stuff happens behind closed doors, but I'm no longer angry at you about this. Okay. Because the nice thing is the bishops keep giving us all of the documents and telling us what's going on. So they've turned ordinary business into exclusive content, which I'm really <laughs> grateful for. So that makes me very happy. Okay, so that's so that's good. I'm glad that it makes you happy. That was the main goal of the meeting. I like to um, think so. <laughs> but I wanted to say actually about that. So I, I, we need to talk about the business of the meeting and the elections, which I predicted terribly. And the, um, <laughs> did anybody read my predictions? I did, I did very bad. Um, <laughs> Did I beat I you for the first time? I don't know. I don't know. We I had a couple of consensus picks, but who I can remember? <laughs> but uh, so we need to talk about forever. that. We want to talk about faithful citizenship. We probably should talk about Archbishop Brolio's big speech. But I just want to say, I think so. One thing that has happened over the past few years is the bishops have spent much more time in these in executive sessions, what they're calling fraternal dialogues. This morning they met, there were two groups of bishops who met this morning, a group of bishops who met to have like a kind of a workshop and then conversations about parish um, mergers and consolidations, how to do it well, and they had brought in people who were really good at it to sort of talk with them about that. And then there was a group of bishops who met who, got, who had like table discussions, fraternal dialogues, so to speak, about basically the renewal of Catholic education. So they had a school super, a diocesan superintendent give a speech. They had somebody give a speech about something which is import, really important to me, namely like um, the inclusion of children with disabilities in Catholic schools. They had someone come in to talk about curriculum renewal. And then the bishops sort of sat and talked with each other. And I keep hearing from bishops that this like move to this kind of conversational thing has been extremely fruitful for them, that the conference has become something that feels much more like um, a fraternal. genuine fraternal engagement. Yeah, and, and this is something that they've been doing for a couple of years now, and the feedback has been universally positive that I've heard, that they really like the spending more time talking to each other. And, I mean, it is ironic because, as we now know, the true definition of synodality is round tables of 10 people. <laughs> That's actually what it means. So they were doing it before it was cool, Yeah, mm -hmm. um, which I like. Although I have heard from a number of bishops, I don't know if you've heard this too, is that they said, well, they like the, they like the private conversations. They like the smaller group talking in executive session and all that stuff. They really, really hate the round tables in normal session. Yeah, yeah. And they, they desperately wish there was a way they could be synodal at a normal table. Because it's they one of them described to me as like the worst wedding reception that never ends because you spend the whole time just kind of looking over your shoulder like what is he saying I can't hear him. so I have heard that but no they are I mean and the conference has gotten much less confrontational much less acrimonious I I think part of it is that they have found a new way of engaging and they've done that very self consciously after the sort of great Eucharistic coherence wars of twenty one I guess it was yeah something like that something like that. Um, and that's nice, but I think part of it also is, and we've, we've talked about this before is the sides are not mutually contested anymore. It's, it's, they're having a lot more fraternal dialogue. Things appear much more placid things like forming consciousness for faithful citizenships, new covering letter, um, you know, sort of go through on the nod because the people who ordinarily were the other side of the argument aren't arguing anymore. Yeah, that's right. 
there's, you know, it's easy to pass a, a, an amendment saying we're going to make sure that we relist abortion as our preeminent political priority if all the people who objected to that language last time don't object anymore. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think they've stopped objecting in the silence of their hearts. I just think they no longer have these fights at the conference and try and fight over whether we're going to use a definite or indefinite article. And that's a change of attitude. Yeah, I think I think that's right. Actually, I think that the... Um, the Eucharistic coherence debate was so acrimonious and so fractious and so, I think, harmful to uh, to a lot of bishops themselves. Because if you guys watched it or heard us talking about it, I mean, it was like, it was um, extremely um, tense at times. And bishops spoke extremely pointedly about, to and about each other. And I think a lot of bishops just decided they didn't want to do that anymore. And in part, I think you're right, there's a contingent of bishops who have sort of said, look, we're not, we're, we're making points, we're trying to sort of raise issues, we're not getting anywhere, we don't have the majority, and we're not going to sort of um, push for things quite so much. But I also, it seems to me that the conference has become perhaps a little, like the bishops have become a little less ambitious in a certain sense. Like, there was a sense, I think, at the time of Eucharistic coherence, like, yeah, we need to do something, we need to publish this, we need to get a statement out. And it does not seem to me like, even the bishops in the majority at the moment feel like they want to want or need to use the conference to be the vehicle to do everything that they want yeah. that, that they want to accomplish which so is that, good because you know the best work of the conference is actually done by conference staff most of the time it's yeah. not something that I mean, no, almost nothing good is actually done by a committee of bishops at a round table in a marriott <laughs> hotel I, it, it's true i mean they can have good fruitful fraternal dialogue and you know they can send it away like billy o and that's great and but you know the the things that they do that are important in terms of administering programs in the church, charitable relief, coordinating outreach, things like that, that's done at the professional level of the conference and, you know, carries on quite well, whether or not the bishops choose to have a giant fight. Over this over this definite I mean, article yeah, or that indefinite yeah, article. That's exactly right. Yeah. I think there's less of a sense. Ultimately the Eucharistic Coherence document who has read the Eucharistic Coherence document in the last year thought, I need to see what that says again? Father Patrick Mary Prisca. <laughs> no, I don't mean who read it when it came out. I mean, who makes regular reference to it? Do you make, you make regular reference to it? Is it part of your spiritual reading or is it? Okay, that's good. You know, it's the kind of thing that... <laughs> but in the last year, you've read it. I don't... And preached about it. And preached. Whoa. 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 Two when you say preached about it, staff meetings don't count, Father. <laughs> Okay, but Father Patrick Mary Briscoe accepted. You know, I think I think also uh, there are probably some bishops who realize that for all the debate and ha- and harm that probably caused to sort of the effective collegiality of the of the conference, it, the stakes are low. Like the, you know, nobody is clamoring out there for sort of these kinds of things. And I also heard more bishops saying that they feel more they feel increasingly more comfortable to teach in their diocese in the way that they want to teach, and, and they don't need to sort of use the conference for that. So those seem to me to be the sort of medium, ter- for two or three years out from that fight, those seem to be the sort of medium term. But um, I think it's related to something else that, I think it, I think the Eucharistic fight, the great Eucharistic coherence war, was a war worth having. I don't know that it was necessarily a war worth having for either side, win or lose, but I think for the bishops as a body, they needed to do that. Because I think it was something that had been building up under the surface yeah, for a long time. Right, and we right. talked forever about false collegiality. Yeah. You know, putting lipstick on the peg of you know the the press conference at the end of the conference saying, No, 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 we all we get all along really well. Other, yeah. We know that they were actually backbiting furiously and saying all sorts of mean things about each other. So I think it was a very cathartic moment for them to get it all out in the open and say, no, these guys really don't like each other. They really disagree very fundamentally. And they fundamentally disagree. I mean, they have. And they're fundamentally angry at each other about those disagreements. And I think what came out of that 
wasn't a, a new agreement or a new consensus, but a new sense of like, we don't like where we've come to as bishops, that we are this personally angry at each other. And I think that was important. I mean, I don't think the conference has suddenly started agreeing about everything, but I think the bishops do now genuinely, they're not hiding personal rifts and feuds and everything and sort of trying to keep a lid on simmering tensions. Yeah. I think when they say we disagree, but, you know, nobody nobody's feeling acrimonious about it. I actually believe that. I think that is true. And that is something that only came out because they had this sort of very public and ugly bloodletting. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, I do want to talk about a little bit because we're sort of saying, you know, the bishops, it's not that the bishops are less divided, it's that they're bringing that less concretely to the conference. And um, and I, th I agree with you. I think that's true for a variety of reasons. But there was something that happened at this meeting that was um, really striking. Um, when we got to, I got to Baltimore on Sunday, you got to Baltimore on Monday. Um, and um, when we started talking with people, especially when we started talking with bishops, there were two things that bishops wanted to talk about. The removal of Bishop Strickland, which I don't know if we're going to get to on this show, and the um, an interview that Cardinal Christophe Pierre, the Apostolic Nuncio to the U.S., had given in America, which was American Magazine, which was very critical of um, of the American Episcopate in a variety of ways, which sort of and the American uh, and the American priesthood, which sort of and said and that American most, Catholics and yeah, and are you guys saying in lady as well? <laughs> well, you said it, ladies. <laughs> Not me. His anyway, eminence chose to paint with a broad brush. Yeah, his eminence chose to paint with a broad brush. And, uh, and so a when we got to Baltimore, there were a lot of bishops who were actively expressing their displeasure about this, and they felt that it was not fair, not an accurate characterization of things, and poor taste. And so I said to a number of them, like, oh, well, that's cool. Are you going to say anything? And all of them were like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm just... <laughs> I didn't Do you like see it, Bishop but, uh, Strickland outside? Uh, right, exactly. That's exactly. That's exactly right. Um, so I sort of thought that this would be the sort of undercurrent of grumbling, and um, and that would be it. But um, Cardinal Pierre gave a speech on Tuesday morning to sort of open the 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 thing as is customary, and his speech was about the connection between the Eucharistic revival and synodality, and it was all very fine. And um, and then Archbishop Brolio, the president of the conference, got up and he gave. Uh, a rebuttal. Yeah, that's exactly right. No, that's who I don't know who shushed you, but I'm so glad that. So this guy said rebuttal and this guy shushed him. But anyone who listens to this show, anyone who listens to this show knows I would have hemmed and hawed for about 13 minutes before I got to the word rebuttal. Well, I don't want to say a rebuttal. So this guy is this guy is right. He's a courageous. What year are you in seminary? A second theology. He's very courageous. He um, I think you're going to make a very fine priest. What's your name? Uh, Brennan. Brennan. Brennan? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you saying your name? Your formators are going to hear this, Brennan. There are easier ways out of the seminary, but <laughs> but I'll be honest with you, not many. <laughs> okay, so uh, second-year theologian <laughs> Brennan <laughs> is quite right. <laughs> The Society of St. Sulpice is writing your name down somewhere right now. <laughs> yeah. Can I just say how, ha this may be the, f like, what, this is one of few rooms that I've ever been in in my life where that joke would go over. <laughs> Everybody's like, yeah, them Sulpicians, you know. <laughs> okay, so Brennan's quite right um, that, I, that Archbishop Brolio stood up and offered a rebuttal of, of this interview that, that Cardinal Pierre gave in America. And it was a very, it was like a point by point dismantling. And if you didn't, and, and he started off, I mean, ominously, it was like this sort of 
<laughs> it was, it, it was, was kind of a Johnny Cash thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, anyone he, who has ears yeah, to hear, listen. Let him who has ears hear. And it's like, holy crap. I don't know what's going to happen now. But like, but, um, but then he just, you know, he just sort of offered a point by point refutation. Cardinal Pierre had said he felt that the church in the United States was still inside the church and not going out. And he talked about the missionary zeal of things like focus and um, others. Everyone uses focus as the example. And then I'm like, and other things that are like focus, you know, um, uh, stuff. Um, net. Um, uh, so he talked about the missionary zeal of things like focus. And he talked about the enthusiasm of his priests. What he mostly talked about that I thought was very interesting is he talked about the the, the degree to which priests in this country are often overworked and the degree to which they make sacrifices to sort of make the sacraments available and to teach the faith. And, um, and it was very, very clear what he was doing. And, um, and I, I talked to a lot of bishops afterwards who were, who felt like so edified that this narrative that they felt did not accurately reflect them sort of, um, yeah, there was, it was a cathartic moment for yeah. the, for the bishops. They, all of them said to me that they knew exactly what Archbishop Rolio was doing and saying, and they were very grateful that he was doing and saying it. But what I didn't expect is there was a little press conference. They don't call them press conferences anymore. They call them press gaggles, but a gaggle is effectively a small conference, so I don't know what If the there's a podium, is. I feel it's a press yeah, conference. Yeah, there's a podium, I, and you have to raise your hand to be called upon. It's not a proper synodal gaggle if you're on... <laughs> if, if some of us are sitting and some are standing behind a podium, I... Oh, man. Uh, yeah, so we were at the... We were at the, uh, we were at the Synod on Media, I guess, and um, and and I asked um, and I asked Archbishop Brolio, you know, which uh, maybe I was sort of, you know, um, twisting the twisting the something a little. I don't even know what you twist, but maybe I was sort of needling him a little bit, stirring the pot. Thank you, stirring the pot a little bit. But I asked him, did you read this interview in America, and do you think it was an accurate representation of the Church? And he, it felt like to me like his, a George C. Scott moment because he kind of put his hands in his pocket and he sort of leans like, no. <laughs> I did not think that was an accurate depiction of the church. Now, he can have his opinion and I can have mine, but I'm right about this. And he, you know, <laughs> no, what I thought was really what, what I thought was really interesting with the answer is he said he did say no, and then he did say, you know, Cardinal Pierre is entitled to his own impressions of the church and I have my own and you know that's fine. And he said, and I have spoken to him about it. And then he just sort of stopped, like, and I'm not gonna tell you what we said. But, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We had I, the conversation. There was a we frank exchange of opinion. You know, like, it yeah, sounded exactly. <laughs> that's exactly right. But I think for I think for a lot of bishops that was, as you say, a cathartic moment and a moment of feeling like I mean, look, it is it is the case that you know, priests in this country have said um, that they have felt like at various times that the holy the tone of the Holy See has been critical of them, unduly critical of them in recent years. And um, you know, we had the thing I guess last month during the synod on synodality where the Pope sort of said young priests are. Um, uh, Cassock obsessed and Saterno obsessed and stuff like that. And when I talked to the crowd in Gamorelli's, they did not agree at all. You know. <laughs> you know, so when I talked to priests about that, you know, I think a lot of them felt like that was an unfair characterization of them. And so I know a lot of priests felt that Archbishop Brolio was sort of pushing back on this narrative, which they felt was not fair. And a lot of bishops did as well, because I think a lot of bishops felt like, look, we've been trying to do, you know, not only trying to sort of recover from our dioceses from COVID, from a mass attendance collapse of COVID, a financial collapse affiliated with COVID, um, trying to do the synod on synodality because we've been asked for it, and then to sort of get to this point of, like, the past few years for a bishop have been hard. I'd say since 2018, it's been a terrible time to be a bishop because you have COVID, the synod on synodality, McCarrick. Us, exactly, us. Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly right. We didn't just happen. <laughs> 
there were things that prompted people to say, maybe we need more investigative journalism in the life of the church. Right? So a lot of bishops, I think, really felt um, edified by that, and especially edified that Archbishop Brolio was sort of willing to go forward um, with it and and offers perspective. What, what did you think, Ed, about all of that? I, I think if the church in America wants to be better understood and and help the Holy See to, and I and I do agree with what some of the bishops said, that they feel like, you know, they get, you know, beat up for everything. They get criticized for everything. That if, you know, they can sit at round tables from before it was cool. They can have a, a lay-led national advisory council for years. They can, you know, they can basically be doing all the synods all of the time for years and still be told, well, you guys aren't really synodal. Um, and it does it does feel a little unfair like that. And and I mean, they could try doing it in German. <laughs> wow, that one. <laughs> I did not anticipate that reaction. No one ever gets this in trouble if you speak German, apparently. <laughs> I, I just want to say, this lady is snapping, and I... I <laughs> I don't know if you're like, I, what I'm trying to figure out is, do you mostly go to poetry readings or uh, is that, oh, sorority. But you say that's very Gen Z. Are, is that what young people do is snap? Okay. So anyway, it turns out that young people snap or they send each other snap emojis. Um, what were we talking about? We were talking about how the U.S. bishops feel misunderstood and underappreciated. Yeah, and Often. I think so a lot of them appreciated that, yes. and it was an unexpected sort of... I, I had expected that they would feel hurt by the Pierre interview and sort of let it go and bad feelings would remain, but I suspect I suspect for a lot of them this was a much better... Yeah, I, it, it will be interesting to see how, how, how things are this time next year or yeah. in June because Cardinal Pierre is obviously not going anywhere, and... It, I mean, it was, I think, one of the reasons why they were so stung by, by his interview in America Magazine is Cardinal Pierre is insanely well-traveled. I mean, he gets yeah. around the country a lot. Yeah. And he is, you never speak to a bishop or a priest that he's met in a diocese and it doesn't say he's, he's there, he's smiling, he's interested, he wants to talk to you. He, you know, wants to see everything. He can't wait, you know, show him every parish hall, show him every initiative in the diocese. He's, and he's there, so he's, enthusiastic and he's so he's supportive. everything I hear you want to kind of be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what made it all the I more, think I think, felt jarring. That he was their sort of advocate and he turned out to yeah, be. Yeah, and I think that's there. what made it all the more jarring to have him get in here basically said, oh, those people that I smile and shake hands with every day, I, they're all trads who, you know, like cassocks. And it's like, yeah. where did that come from? I yeah. Um, so, no, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens because, I mean, that's not a working relationship that can go away. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly the, right. you, the, the conference collectively. The conference the, needs to work with the new The bishops of the conference need to work with the new team, and yeah. the new team needs to work with them. It's, there's no other way, and he's not going anywhere. So, it'll be interesting to see how that relationship reforms, I think. Well, Ed, he's not going anywhere, but we are because it's time for a commercial break. And how is that for a transition, everybody? <laughs> Hello, friends. This is the part of our live show where we were going to talk about our sponsors, the University of Dallas, in the room with all of our friends. Unfortunately, we did as soon do, as... But it, we, we just weren't able to that. make a recording of it, and, and we want to tell you why. Basically, what happened was there were some alumni of the University of Dallas in the room, as well as some, some friends of the University of Dallas. And as soon as we mentioned the institution's name, the bar basically went bananas. It just lit up. I mean, everyone knows that the University of Dallas is the premier Catholic liberal arts university in the country. But what we didn't know is that when we started talking about the University of Dallas there at our live show, there would be so much enthusiasm, so much excitement that we wouldn't be able to get a word in edgewise. So we're coming to you now from our studio after the recording of the live show because we've got a lot to tell you about the University of Dallas. That's right. 
The University of Dallas is, of course, dedicated to the pursuit of wisdom, of truth, and of virtue as the proper and primary ends of education. The university as a whole is shaped by a long tradition of Catholic learning, and it acknowledges the commitment to the Catholic Church and its teaching right up front. It's dedicated to the recovery of the Christian intellectual tradition, to the renewal of Catholic theology and fidelity to the Church, and in constructive dialogue with the modern world. Veritatem justitiam diligite. Love ye truth and justice. This motto might sound um, odd to you, but it is the language of the church and it is the language of truth and love. And this motto surrounds the university's seal. It's emblematic of all of the ideas that it holds dear and to which it is dedicated. It's actually uh, taken from a conflation of two biblical verses in Zechariah 8.8 8 and 8.19 to express the biblical message that truth and justice are the necessary conditions for peace, prosperity, and happiness. This wise instruction, um, which is to say, love ye truth and justice, has also been discovered by reason and confirmed by history. It was the founding conviction of the University of Dallas, and it continues to inform all that the university aspires to do. At the University of Dallas, undergraduate students are required to take at least two theology and three philosophy courses as part of a rigorous core curriculum. But courses across the disciplines offer a dialogue of faith and reason combined with the Catholic intellectual tradition. And indeed, we discovered this at life at UD is enlivened by the Catholic spiritual life with mass confessions at Adoration, prayer groups, numerous service opportunities, and also just a robust Catholic culture that we, I think, experienced ourselves in our own visits to the University of Dallas. That is entirely true, and it is true, of course, of their of their campus in Texas, where where we were visitors, and which we greatly enjoyed. But also at their campus in Rome, or just outside of Rome, where students experience the Catholic intellectual tradition in the literal footsteps of the Fathers of the Church. University of Dallas alumni serve the Catholic Church in more than 30 states across the country. 11 bishops in the U.S. claim UD as their alma mater, go Groundhogs. And more than 80% of students are Catholic at UD. But the school, of course, welcomes all of those, all other denominations. It supports academic and religious freedom and fosters spiritual development, no matter what the faith tradition of the student to prepare them for their calling as men and women of faith in the world. UD is an independent Catholic university, but the history of the college demonstrates a longstanding relationship with the local diocese, now the Diocese of Dallas and area religious orders, which strengthens its spirituality and intellectual pursuit of the Catholic tradition. Today, the Bishop of the Diocese of Dallas is actually the Chancellor of the University and religious from several different orders, Dominican Cistercians and Nashville Dominican Sisters, and priests from within the Diocese of Dallas teach and minister on campus. And that's not all, because UD is also home to Holy Trinity Catholic Seminary, to the Institute for Homiletics, whose mission is to renew preaching in the Catholic Church, sorely needed if you ask me, and the Nyhoff Institute for Ministry and Evangelization, which offers a variety of certificates and continuing education programs to equip people who work in ministry, ministry leaders, to transform the world for Christ. The University of Dallas is... Um, uh, a Catholic core curriculum, uh, a Catholic culture, and um, we have found a deeply ecclesial place, a place committed to the life of the church, dare I say, um, a Catholic university from the heart of the church, ex corde ecclesia, if you will. I like that. That's true. That that should be on a t-shirt. That should be. And Ed, really, honestly, I am so glad that we have had the University of Dallas as a longtime friend of the show. I'm so glad that we had them as the sponsor for this live show because there were a lot of uh, alumni there, but also just because I... Um, I believe in the University of Dallas. Like I, I, I'm excited to talk about the University of Dallas because all of our own experience with it says that this is a place where people can be formed um, to really live well in the Catholic tradition, to live well, to think well, um, and to pray well um, as Catholics and um, sort of living the robust full life, which includes the intellectual life, the spiritual life, and cultural and social lives all, all synthesized together. 
And it's been really cool, I think, to see uh, how that plays out at the University of Dallas. And I'm, I'm just really excited to have them as a sponsor. I am, I am not just excited. I am grateful. And um, I like the place. Yeah. I don't know what else I can say other than I have been to the University of Dallas and I sincerely liked the place. I liked the people. And I am not the sort of person who likes people or places. <laughs> That's and, a good point. But we like And Dallas. I like both. But speaking of people and places, we can now return to our, our live show in Baltimore, which by this point had pretty much degenerated into a November Groundhog celebration in Baltimore. That's right. All right, everybody, we are back. Welcome back to part two of the Pillar Podcast. Do you guys want to play a game? Yes! Okay, we can play a game, but we're going to talk for like 10 more minutes, and then we're going to play a game. Does that sound fair? Okay, we have a game. We have an audience participation game. It's an audience game, and you're going to love it, and we're going to play it in about 10 minutes. Is that good? Okay. Okay, let's talk about elections. So what was interesting about these elections was that for the most part, most of the bishops who were running for sort of committee chairmanships were people who would be theologically aligned with each other and sort of policy aligned with each other. We had dinner with two bishops who were running for an office the night before, and they were sort of joking because they had the exact, they ordered the exact same meal. Like it was like, they were like, we're in agreement with each other. And then they weirdly ordered the exact same appetizer, exact same um Entree, exact same dessert. It was sort of like strange, actually. It was strange, but I mean, it, it goes. <laughs> <laughs> then they won't have dinner with us anymore. Yeah. So, uh, so for the most part, the bishops were sort of al aligned with each other. Um, I, I think most people knew that Archbishop Coakley would be elected secretary because he already was secretary. He'd yeah. been elected last year. When it, it wasn't a question. It wasn't a fair fight because no one was saying, "Who would I rather be secretary, Archbishop Coakley or Archbishop Samples?" Well, do I want to fire Coakley? Yeah, that's and exactly right. Yeah, that's there's exactly no right. reason why they would want to do that. He's yeah. done a good job by all accounts. He's very popular. Um, so no, I, I think yeah, I think that's right. I think Archbishop Coakley was always likely to to do well, and you know, I think the margin reflects like 187 to 55. Yeah. So mm -hmm. you know that now the education committee we had different picks for that. You thought it was going to be Bishop Conley. I picked I picked Bishop Conley, but I said about 50 times that I was not being objective, right? So I don't yes. think that counts. Bishop Conley was my longtime boss and friend and is still a friend. And, and so presented with a former chaplain at the University of Dallas. So oh, you see, if I had known that, I might have given him a second look. I, <laughs> I picked the it winner, is? David O'Connell of Trenton, primarily because he used to run the Catholic University of America. But the University of Dallas is, for example, the premier liberal arts university, Catholic liberal uh, arts if university. You're, if you're saying who is necessarily more qualified to lead the Bishop's Com Committee on Education, a former chaplain of the University of Dallas and a former president of the Catholic University of America. <laughs> I would agree. It's no contest. Um, I'm not saying which way. I, uh, so here's a, what I think rude. happened. Here's what I think that one was. But it's it's weird to me. The elections are weird to me because the, I can't consistently parse each one. Um, okay, so this bit, one looked to me. Can I tell you how I read this one? Yeah, please. I think there is, and, and we talked about this a bit looking at the slate of candidates yeah. before, that there was no sort of left-wing candidate for mm -hmm. almost all of the elections. And I would put the strength of the, you know, I, I don't know what you want to call them, the the Red Caucus or the the Progressive Caucus or the Left, you know, whatever you want to, I don't... Red is conservative in America. Oh, is it? Yeah. yeah. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Have you all heard of the Communist Party? Okay. Red is conservative in America. There's nothing you can do. Mm -hmm. That's so backwards. Um, okay, so the you have that group of bishops, and I would put their hardcore vote voting strength at about 40 
maybe to 50 in numbers yeah a third of i think a third or so of the voters not the best yeah i i would put them at a soft number of 70 but a hardcore of about 40 to 50. and you know the margin was basically 101 to 144 so, so what you have is an equal split of the sort of red the actual red guys if you will well, I was going to say you have a, a, a monk, the actual work. Look, no, the, the conservative bishops. This is too this confusing me- this for me. This color metaphor is getting totally confused. Though. Basically, what I'm saying is, if you take the, the cardinals the left, are in the blue metaphor. If you take the the liberal left voting block out, you have basically a dead heat vote here, yeah. which is what I would have expected. So you just had, well, I think, and this is this is my sort of hermeneutic of interpretation for all of the election results are most of them anyway, is in elections where there isn't an obvious conservative or liberal or whatever you want to call it. And I think they've stopped fielding candidates in a lot of because they know they can't put up a, a candidate who's likely to command a majority. And I think you saw this most clearly last time when Archbishop Cloakley was elected secretary and was facing off against Cardinal Joe Tobin, who I think is probably the most credible and probable a candidate that that side would field. And Archbishop Coakley won. And I think after that, they said, well, we don't need to put guys up just to get them beat. But they can turn into um, basically a, a swing decider yeah. for all of the choices that the Here's where rest that of the plays out, put I think. up. So, um, okay, so communications, coin, who would be, I think, affiliated with, if you want to sort of say the yeah, Cardinals. Yeah, that election was coin or not coin. Yeah, it was coin or not joint. coin, which we talked about. And if you want to say sort of coin is associated with the stupid universe of the conference. And Byrne, who is not nearly as well known, he's not been a bishop for very long, people don't know him, but he's not affiliated with that universe. It's again, it's it's 142 to 103. So it's almost the same. Um, Muggenberg and McKnight for National Collections. National Collections is not an important committee. No offense, Muggenberg and McKnight. But um, it, it gets you a spot on the administrative committee, which sets the agenda and which does sort of helps to put it's together candidates. It's, it's cabinet chair, right? So it's, it's it's like being secretary of something that doesn't matter. I don't know what they <laughs> Don't tempt me. <laughs> so anyway, so, but that one too, it's, it's the same kind of, it's 146 to 97. So if you take those ones where there's a sort of obvious sort of candidate of the sort of super universe and a sort of obvious candidate of not, you get that consistent sort of 140s to 100-ish sort of range. Um, okay, so the election that really was surprising for me, and we both picked this wrong, I think, was Bishop Thomas of Toledo versus Archbishop Cordelioni of San Francisco for chairman of pro-life activities. Yeah, but I mean, I think if we apply the same hermeneutic, you know, if... But the if, margin's bigger than that. If every... Um, okay, so Thomas is no, you know, sort of theological progressive or something like that. Bishop no. Danny Thomas is a very sort of... Sure. Orthodox. So uh, so if you, if you apply the same sort of hermeneutic, then you would sort of say, okay, um, Thomas and Cordelioni kind of, it seems like, sort of split the conservative-ish bishops, if you will, theologically conservative-ish bishops, the Eucharistic Coherence Caucus, if you prefer, and then um, Thomas picked up the sort of, um, that sort of 50 of sort of the supish universe. And I think that would be the thing I would give him. I guess, but I'm What not, we thought is that Cordelioni would pick up all of the kind of Eucharistic coherence people. And clearly he didn't, and that they was would want surprising to sort of give him a pat on the back for, Cordelio- for Pelosi. Yeah. But yeah, that was the thing that kind of surprised me about that. I was, yeah, I, I was, I completely didn't see that coming. I, I read that one entirely wrong. Did anyone project that one correctly? In your own, in your sheets Did anyone make own? money on the conference <laughs> committee elections? Yeah. We also, we, we would not, if we had bet, we would not have made money. We bet each other. <laughs> we bet money? No. We, we used to bet money on these elections. Um, and then we realized that all we really wanted was to be able to look the other one in the eye and say, 
you were wrong. <laughs> and that was worth more than any, <laughs> any paper. I was, um, like when... The I votes, haven't done the tally yet, so I don't know no, who of the two of us had but, more right but or But I was wrong a lot, and when the votes started coming out, I was like thinking to myself, like, why do you put these projections in your newsletter? Like, you don't... <laughs> you embarrass yourself, and you don't even have to. Uh, but I'll probably forget that by next year and then do it again, so... What can you do? Okay. Well, that was the meeting. You guys want to play a game? Yeah! Okay. So, Ed, how many rounds... Ed has written a game. Ed, how many rounds of the game do we have? Who said seven? Plus or minus. <laughs> over, over under. Yeah, more or less seven. And okay. with a bonus round. Seven with how, a bonus round. How many people can play in each round? Perfect. Me. Every round. Am I coming in? It seems that way. How many people can play the game in each I, round? It's not really like that. It's, it's more, like Price is Right, right? I yes. think it's like Price is Right. It's like Price is Right. Okay, yes. so it's basically, this is a sort of a showcase showdown. So I think we need, I think it's two people per round. Do you yes, know? I would agree. Two okay, people so per round. Okay, so who would like... This lady. Oh, sorry. I've just I've selected someone. You can't play against your friend. No, and but also, they can... I don't know her. She's from the internet. And also, <laughs> I'm so glad to have you here. I do need to say we have more than one round. Yeah, so. I, I, I'm so glad to have you here. I do need to say, and I want to say this as politely as I can, that this is my damn desk. You know what I'm saying? So that's a throwback. If you've been listening to us for a long time, that's the sort of that was for that was a deep track for the true fan. I don't know. I really don't. Lauren, would you like to play? Yes. All right. Lord, you're going to play in the next round. Brennan, come on down. Get over here. And your name is Katie. Katie. Okay, right. So, Kate. Okay. My wife's name is Kate. And um, that's, that'll, that'll never not be weird. All right. So I have, um, in the course of either a particular individual's speech or across the entire length of the public sessions of the conference recorded the instances of how many times particular words or phrases were used. And so for gonna, the, you guys are going to sort of say them and then for um, the shiny bobble, yes! a pillar, a pillar hat of a pillar hat, raised lettering, wow. one size fits all fitted. It's a high quality item. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask you both, please. In his opening address to the public session yesterday, Cardinal Christophe Pierre used the, the words synod and synodality a number of times. For the closest answer without going over, please, how many times did Cardinal Christophe Pierre's speech use the word synod or synodality? 17. 17 times. <laughs> Who thinks? 18. Okay, Brennan says 17, Kate says 18, which means anything over 17 is basically her bet. Who thinks... So who think so Brennan to get this right had to hit it exactly on the money. And Ed, if they both are over, then you have to make a buzzing sound. Who thinks Brennan is right exactly on the money 17? Yeah, Brennan! His brotherhood. Who thinks Kate is right more than 17? Ed? Uh, the correct answer is 21. Whoa! A lovely hat. Thank you so much for playing. You get a hat. Okay, who wants to play round two? Who's playing? Come on, the gentleman in the sweater. Come on down. This lady right here. Okay, uh, what's your name and where are you from? I'm Matt from. And uh, and who are you? Hold on, you got to talk into a microphone, which Ed's going to hand you. My name is Clarissa. I live in. Area. Clarissa is obviously going to explain it all. I'm super excited. I've never met a Clarissa in my life. Really? Yeah. Do you hear that every single day? That's what I was telling you. 
<laughs> All right, so so let's play. You know the game. What was your name again? Sorry, yes. Matt and Clarissa. Okay. You know the game. You know the rules. We are still doing Cardinal Christoph Pierre's speech, <laughs> and I'd like you to tell me, please, how many times Cardinal Pierre, in his speech opening the USCCB conference yesterday, referenced the Eucharistic revival. Okay, and Clarissa, you can choose if you want to go first or second. Second. You want to go second. So Matt, it's fall falls to you. I'm gonna say less or fewer than synodality, so I will go with 14. 14. 14. Strong play. Clarissa, how many times did Cardinal Christoph Pierre reference the Eucharistic revival? I'm gonna go with 11. 11 times. Who thinks Matt has it? 14 or over? (laughs) Who thinks Clarissa in the narrow band of 11 to 14? <laughs> like a, one would have been the same. Would you like a do-over, Matt? Are you okay with that? Sure. Wow! Look at the generosity of this guy. Okay, you've completely monkeyed with the game now, so I don't know what the answers are. Her, her bid is one dollar. Your bid is one dollar. Matt, you had fourteen. Congratulations! The correct answer is seventeen. Okay, who wants to play? This guy back here who came for two hours away. The seminary, look at this clericalism. The seminary just nominated their own guy. I didn't call you up, sir. No, sit, stay here now. What are you? Wow, this is just like acclamation. Yeah, what they're saying acclamation, they mean this small group of clerics decided what was about to happen. This is synodality. Okay, right. you already got a shirt, so you could be a double winner. I uh, yeah. Okay, tell us who you are and where you're from. I am Bill from. Bill from. And uh, <laughs> sir, Tibor from. Tibor. T i b o r. And you're seminarian, Tibor. Yes, I am. And what is your year of study? First year pre-theology. First year pre-theology First from year the year diocese of. Right. All right, gentlemen. In Archbishop Brolio's speech, how many times? Did he reference the synod or synodality? Got that synodality over there in Rome. It was really a cr- tremendous thing. In. I'm going to say 20. Interesting. Wow. Tibor, what do you think? 15. 15. 15. I'm sorry, but you're both over. Sorry, gentlemen, you're both over. We're going to need two new players, We're I'm gonna afraid. We're going to need two more players. That guy wants to play. And that lady there, please. You, this lady wants to play. Great turtleneck, by the way. This guy, if you're listening at home, is clad in a, an awesome black turtleneck that I, if I were wearing that, it'd be covered in food right now. It'd be disgusting. <laughs> also, I, I'm rather corpulent to be wearing that turtleneck, so I'm glad that I'm not. Nah, you look good, JD. Oh, that's so nice. But it's not true. Uh, I'm Luca. I'm from... Oh, Luca from... Oh, okay. That's right. Well, okay. Madam. Yes. Welcome. Who are you? Where are you from? Oh, my name's Andrea. I'm from an unnamed suburb. I respect that. (laughs) We've had two guesses already that went over. So again, please, um, how many times did Archbishop Berlio say synod or synodality? All right. How long did he speak for? Exactly 22 minutes. No, it was a, it was a, like the text of the speech ran to about three pages. Okay. Um, Five. Five times. Okay. I'm going to go with three. Ooh. Three times. Five on the nose. Whoa! 
Okay, we are, things are about to get a little bit more interesting. So we need two more players. Raise your hand if you'd like to play. You both want to play? Are you guys married? You guys are married down on a date. Engaged. You're engaged. Wow. I'm just going to put this out there. There's one more round after this. And engaged couples, especially newly engaged couples, definitely jump to the front of the line. Did you that's come? Oh, that's what you yeah. Did you guys? Let me ask you this. Did you guys come to this live show last year? I did. Were you, were you engaged then? No. So would you? I mean, would is it fair to say that we had something to do with you? <laughs> definitely, be, definitely be a part of the relationship. Wow, that's <laughs> because nice. this podcast isn't a part of my own marriage, Mrs. Flynn. <laughs> Mrs. Flynn is not that much of a listener, so I'm very... Okay, so who... Uh, who uh, uh, now I should say, Mrs. Flynn is the most wonderful person that I've ever met. I'm not like that. <laughs> okay, so who are you and who's your fiancé? I'm Justin. I'm from... Okay. Uh, Lauren, I'm in... For the prize. Oh, Guys, get ready for this. Get ready. Get ready for this. We have a satin black pillar jacket. <laughs> I, I, you've already played. No, I haven't. <laughs> Gay wants to play again. You're wearing your prize. <laughs> okay, for a satin black pillar jacket with a pillar embossed on it. I need you to tell okay, me. Okay, so here's the question. This is a critical question. Is um, If you win the jacket, because we could pick other people right now if we want to. Um, <laughs> if you get the jacket, will you wear it or bring it to your wedding reception? Wow. I have There's an argument been. for just giving the matching jackets at this point. Oh, yes. Okay. No, you will not. She's going to wear it over the wedding dress. Can we get on with the game before they change their minds? Let's play, let's play, let's play. All right. Well, this is this took a turn, and it's amazing. So, um, All right, your, your question is, closest answer. Without going over, high stakes, how many times in open session did the U.S. bishops, any number of them over the last two days, reference ice cream? <laughs> and if you paid attention to the conference, they love talking about ice cream. These guys, it's like, it's like they can buy ice cream anytime that they want. Like, they have money, but the prospect of getting a free ice cream, they're like, we will join any committee if they have this cheap... 22. Whoa. 22, he said. Oh. I urge you to adopt the Price is Right strategy. Four. So the thing is... Uh, if he says 22 and you say one, then you get everything between one and 22. Okay, who who thinks... Listen, you may or may not know this, but the name of God is Mercy, and we take that seriously here at the Pillar Podcast. Do it again! One. Oh, what a great guess! You want to be right. The correct answer is two. And so consequently, you get the lady size. We are so excited. Give her a round of applause. Put your jacket on. One more? I have to, I have to see if I've got a question left. Because when I conceived of this, I had a couple of things that were going to be trick questions. What? But you guys want to play them. They want to play basically family double dare is what they're saying. Oh. Um, couples they, Jeopardy. Couples All Jeopardy. Right. Okay. Winner gets the prize. Loser gets Loser gets engaged doesn't feel right, but if you don't win, 
to say. Oh my God. <laughs> you know what I mean, though. Like, winner gets the thing, the other one gets. Okay. All right. Do we want to do that? Do we want to do a couple, uh, all right. a couple two seconds to think about how to phrase this into a question? Because okay, come on up, dating couples. Yeah. So, couple number one, you are Sarah. Sarah. JC. Sarah and JC. And you guys came last year. I came last year. You came last year. Did you come with a different girl? <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> I could have sworn there was a different... Okay, and uh, let's move on quickly. Your name is... Abby. Abby. Charlie. Abby. Okay, okay. My sister listens to the show. No, I did not. Okay, <laughs> okay so... <laughs> Sarah and JC, Abby and Charlie. And we have... Another jacket. Size large. But here's long. the thing. Let's just say this. These guys wanted to compete as couples. They chose to compete as couples. There's one jacket as a price. So if you win, you can't you can't break up. That seems That's that's reasonable. <laughs> Alright, so this is This is all I've got that is I think a fair fight here and not a trick question. How many times in his opening speech did Cardinal Christophe Pierre reference Pope Francis? Oh. The Holy Father. That was very. Who just said the Pope like that? You did very good. Brennan, you man, really you don't want to be a priest, do you? <laughs> Brennan does a great Pierre. This guy, he's. he's he, are you. Do you hope to be assigned to the diplomatic corps? Is that your. I hope for nothing but grace. <laughs> oh, oh. He says he hopes for nothing but grace. Okay, Ed. Oh, what's the, oh, the question is, how many t- times did uh, Christophe Pierre say, uh, reference the Pope in his speech? In his yes. Opinion? Okay. And do you guys want to confer a little bit? Who wants to go first here? Yeah, uh, we can go second. Oh, you want to go I'm deferring the kickoff. I feel like I shouldn't. I, there was a more fair way for me to do that, wasn't there, Sarah and JC? Yeah, right? Who's been, you, how long have you guys been dating? Five months. Five months. You guys have been dating four months. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm sorry that you can't do it. Great. Okay, so. Seven. Seven. Seven times. Eight. Oh! <laughs> Somebody watched Prices Right when they were staying home sick from school, and it's Charlie. Eight on the nose. Whoa! Whoa! Sarah and Charlie, that's great. <laughs> And guess what? Hold on. Nobody goes away empty. Except all the people in the other rounds. But nobody in this round. Nobody in the couples round. Yeah, that's right. Thank you guys so much for playing. Um, And I think that's really about as much talking as we'd planned to do. Thank you guys so so much. I I like to say at this, and I hope you'll forgive me for being earnest, but... um, we love the church as our mother, and we love the church as the communion of our baptism, and we we love the church and we want her to be holy, and we feel grace that we get to do uh, work that we hope helps the church to be holy, and we only get to do it because people, you know, read it or listen to it or whatever, and we are just really, we're really grateful for you. We, we want... We, we love to experience the church as a communion of the baptized, so we love to experience the church in something like this, and, um, and we're, we're so grateful that the pillar is not just sort of our publication, but has increasingly become our community, our community, and that really does mean you guys, so thank you very much for that, and I think 
Um, if we would just say one thing, it's that um, the more that I, I am edified to see that the church is slowly but surely, slowly but maybe surely, in a period of in a period of reform, and I think that that also means that the church can be in a period of renewal in which the Holy Spirit really can move in the life of the church in our country in different ways, and I think all of us are called to be a part of that. So if there's one sort of news that we would report, then maybe this sounds hokey, but if there's one thing that we would report more than any other, it's that um, we, the only thing that matters is for all of us to be saints, and thank you for believing that too and for wanting to be a part of that and for wanting to be a part of this community. Do you want to say something, Ernest? I know that. Yes, I do. Oh, wow. That's unusual. <laughs> like, I... <laughs> this episode of the Pillar Podcast is brought to you by the University of Dallas, the premier liberal arts university in the United States. That's right. Uh, the Pillar Podcast is a production of Pillar Media and NNGD Production. Our executive producer is the very, very great Kate Oliveira, who couldn't be here tonight because she's with her kids. Um, but we are... Uh, uh, I'm your host, J.D. Flynn. This is Ed. We'll be back next week. And we're just so grateful to all of you for coming. Thank you so much Thank for being here. Thank you very much. Here.